Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. Hope you're well, hope you're strapped in, ready to go, and that you're not too afraid, because of course it is... Halloween! (laughs) You know, the more I hear that, the more I think that's the music we should use to enter the field to for every home game. Forget your Elvis or Fatboy Slim or any of that. Get that on. Number one, it's quite intimidating because it's a pipe organ, and there's no more sinister instrument than the pipe organ, apart, of course, from the accordion, an instrument that takes on even more menace when you're stuck on a train or a metro or a subway or something, and somebody gets into the carriage and starts accordioning for all they're worth, then comes around and looks for money from you. Idiots, they do it wrong, you know. If that was me... I would enter the carriage with the accordion and say, unless you give me money, I will play this. You have a chance to stop it. Instead, they play and then come around and expect you to give them money for for making your ears hurt. But uh, back to that particular music. Yes, let's do that. Let's play that music as we uh, enter the field for every home game. And look, it suits the mood as well as another one of our players lies injured in a heap on the ground. It's got, got that deathly quality to it a bit, doesn't it? But it is Halloween, and what a what a wonderful occasion it is when parents dress up their children and send them out from house to house to beg for sustenance and food. It's um, really quite something. Uh, but I'm sure there'll be lots of little people calling to your door, and I hope you've got something for them. I do. I have a range of freshly prepared snacks. So when they come to the door looking for a trick or treat or helping the Halloween party, I, I can offer them, you know, a quinoa salad or some granola. Or uh, fruit. They love fruit more than anything, don't they, kids, for Halloween? What would you like, an apple or an orange? And they're standing there looking at you like, fuck you, man. But you can't really tell because they've got a costume on or, you know, a mask. So their looks of withering contempt, they don't register with me at all. I wonder if you're going to go to a Halloween party in fancy dress as a scary Arsenal player, who would you be? And by scary Arsenal player, I don't mean Igor Stepanov's at Old Trafford. No, not that kind of thing. Something like um, Franken Stapleton. Or you could be Cliff Beeston. Bobby Gould. Hmm? Ted Dracula. Stretching it there a little bit. Bertie Mummy. Yeah, I thought that one was quite good. Um, we had uh, Zombian, right? Yeah, we did that a couple of weeks ago, I think. And uh, if you're going to take somebody from the current squad, who would it be? Difficult. Mikel Arteta. Okay, really stretching it there. If you can think of any, send them to me on Twitter, at Arseblog, and stick the hashtag ScaryArsenalPlayers on it. ScaryArsenalPlayers hashtag, and we'll see if we can get that going. Um, so you can change the names or whatever you like in order to uh, portray them in a more scary, nefarious, and evil light than they're already portrayed on social media. Uh, Speaking of which, we'll be uh, talking about the general theme of this uh, Arsecast in in a moment or two, because it's been a very, very, very quiet week. Uh, After we beat Sunderland, there's, I suppose, an acceptance that beating Sunderland with two mistakes isn't really something that you can, you know, spend a week talking about or using it as the kind of game where you can say, well, we've turned the corner now. We've had a clean sheet. No, there's, you know, an acceptance that it was a bit bit of good luck, I think, along the way. Um, So it's been deadly quiet. Really, 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 really quiet. There have been interlulls with more going on 
than this particular uh, this particular week. The most exciting thing that happened was a guy playing for Shrewsbury Town on Tuesday night, scoring against Chelsea. I came back from playing football myself um, about half ten. I was looking on Twitter at my mentions, and it was going crazy, and everyone's going, well done for scoring against against uh, Chelsea. Unfortunately, the goal scored by that particular Andrew Mangan um, wasn't enough to knock Chelsea out, which is a shame. And while I applaud that Andrew Mangan for his goal... He missed the chance, didn't he, to slide tackle Mourinho, who must have been on the pitch at some point during the game, because that's what he does. He wanders on the pitch. I wouldn't be able to resist myself just having a good slide tackle while the ball was up the other end, uh, leaving him in a crumpled heap. I know I'd probably get a 10-game ban or a 12-game ban, but God damn, you'd be a hero, wouldn't you? The guy who slide tackled Mourinho without even the ball. Talk about a missed opportunity there, Mangan. But I listened to the goal, or I saw the goal on uh, YouTube, and the commentary was in French. And I love the way that the French commentator says his name, which is also my name. It's like this. Et c'est l'égalisation. Ça fait un but partout. Il vient à peine de rentrer en jeu, Andy Mangan. I love that. Andy Mangan. I think I might move to France just so I can have people say my name like that all the time. Et Andy Mangan. Ooh la la, as they say. I'm impressed with that. So well done, Andy Mangan, for your goal, but bad luck for the rest of it. So uh, that, as you will have gathered, isn't that exciting at all. And that was the best thing that happened so far this week. So with that in mind, I've got a slightly tricky job on my hands to put together an arse cast for you. Because, look, what do you do? Um, do you talk about the fact we haven't got any fit defenders? No, we've done it. Do you talk about what we didn't do in the summer? No, we've done that too. Do you look ahead to a game against Burnley? Um, possibly. But what can you really say about a game against Burnley other than, well, we really should win this? So it leaves you a bit short on stuff to talk about. But a couple of weeks ago, Tim Stillman wrote a piece uh, in his column here on Arse Blog about how the perception of things that go on at Arsenal and every football club, for that matter, has changed because of the the environment or the culture in which we live. Um, we're more invested in everything or every aspect of, of the football club, which isn't to say that people who follow the club in the so-called olden days weren't as passionate or didn't get behind the team as much. But now it's... I won't say relentless, that's probably the wrong word because that sounds a little negative because there are very obviously positive things about uh, the internet and the way that we have uh, information and uh, everything else. But it has changed things, that we've got blogs, we've got forums, we've got social media like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and everybody not only has their own outlet via their own account, um, to tell everyone what they think, but they can interact with, with other people, they can interact with writers, they can interact with podcasters, they can interact even with the players to a certain extent, and we've seen that. And Tim gave a couple of examples in the piece which got me thinking. One was John Jensen, a player who is regarded as something of a, a cult hero, uh, people who were there and saw his only ever goal for Arsenal, uh, celebrate that because it was just kind of a, a remarkable thing. And it's a thing that's remembered in relatively good humor because Jensen came to us after a cracking goal in the European Championships and everyone thought, whoa, this guy's going to do that for us. And he didn't. Um, but we know that people's tolerance for players not scoring these days is is much, much lower. What would be happening on social media if John Jensen was, was there? Or if he was posting on Instagram, what would people say to him in the comments? What would, what would his app mentions be like on Twitter? And the other one was George Graham, a guy who took a club that was in the doldrums, won a trophy, then won us our first league title in 18 years in that dramatic night at Anfield, won the league title again a couple of seasons later, only lost one game that season, very, very close to being invincible, won us a European trophy, in the Cup Winners' Cup in 1994, um, we know how it ended, and we know how his achievements at Arsenal are remembered, but then he went on to manage Tottenham. Like, think about that now. How would that go down? And how would it affect the 
the overall perception of him from an Arsenal point of view or from an Arsenal fan's point of view. And I just thought it was an interesting subject, an interesting topic that could probably be fleshed out. We were trying to talk about it briefly on on Twitter, and there's nothing you can really say in 140 characters that, that does it justice. So um, to talk about this in a slow week and to just sort of look at it in an overall way, uh, I thought maybe getting a few people together and having a chat about it would be the way to go. So that's what this week's show is about. Maybe a bit navel-gazing, but what else are we going to do? So um, first, joining me, uh, the author of that piece, Tim Stillman. Good evening. Uh, the man from East Lower. Good evening to you. And to you. And Gunnar Holick, how are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you very much. Hello, everybody. Uh, Tim, I'm going to start with you because you wrote the piece, which people can find on Ars Blog uh, much more easily now with that new redesign. They can just click on columnists and find all your columns. It's entitled uh, Seasons in the Sun, and it's about the whole concept of nostalgia and uh, present day, I don't want to say support, but the way that things are viewed in, in the present day. And, and certainly it's it's much easier to look back on things that happened in the past and forget all the surrounding mayhem that that went with them. But also we're in a an era where everything, every piece of every detail of everything that happens with a club is under the microscope in a way. So are we in a situation where this kind of analysis is inevitable and we have to live with it? Or are there, are there things that we need to perhaps step back and take some lessons from? I, th- I think it's a mixture of both, um, to be honest. I think, yes, we're in a kind of um, an era of hyper-analysis, if you will, where there's more information available to us. Um, so, in a sense, we're more knowledgeable but at the same time, there's a lot more bullshit flying around. Um, so it's kind of sometimes it's difficult to see the wood for the trees and it's sometimes it's difficult to distill um, the information that's worth having and the speculation and the conjecture. And, um, you know, I, I think quite often a lot of us could do with acknowledging that which we don't actually know um, and acknowledge that we're sometimes speculating about things that are happening. Mm. Um, but I, I think, I, I mean, I think in, in the piece, I didn't want to make it sound like, you know, nostalgia is a bad thing. Um, it's, it's a very, it's a wonderful thing, really. I mean, if you're, it, it's part of the fun and the condition of being a football fan. If you're not looking at stuff like, you know, Tony Adams volley against Everton and, you know, the old back four and the invincibles and stuff like that, and you're not feeling nostalgic, then you're not really doing it right. Um, because that's why we go and that's that's so much of the pleasure of football is just getting just squeezing out those moments um you know that kind of take you to another level and you do recognize for the rest of your life i do wonder if some of the fun has come out of it a little bit um and i think i wrote a piece either just before or just after that asking whether actually the fa cup win made people happy um for more than just the weekend it happened Mm. Um, and I'm 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 not sure actually. It seems to have been fairly quickly forgotten um, and kind of put on a shelf. So I, I I do wonder if that's just because everything moves so fast and there's so much information and there's yeah. so much going on all the time that it's more difficult to take stock. Um, I th- I think it's I think it's it's just a mixture of so many different things. The condition of the, the football fan, the condition of the human being as well as to kind of look back on the past with very rose-tinted specs because it's very safe and you can filter out the bad bits and things like that. Um, but I, I do think the goalposts have moved in terms of what we what we expect, you know, from our football clubs. Yeah. And a lot of that as well is because of the way the game's gone. You know, wealth is a lot more locked in. So, yes, you kind of expect to finish in certain places in the league and you expect to get to certain stages of competitions, whereas perhaps there was a slightly more random element a few years ago. So actually Mm. things are a bit more locked in. So expectations are more locked in. Sure. Um, I I think it's just a a real whirlwind of different things. Holick, you know, it's not a case that in the past people weren't critical when the team wasn't doing well. And obviously there were periods um, in Arsenal's not too distant history where, where things weren't great at all. You, you look at the the seventies, you look at the eighties, um, and clearly, there were players who weren't flavor of the month. Um, it's natural for a football fan to, uh, even if you want to say engage in gallows humor, you know, there is a, an element of criticism that comes from the terraces. 
Um, but it, it tended to dissipate because it had no way of of spreading the way that it does now. Um, and I'll, I'll just sort of qualify this by saying... I don't want this to come across as some sort of witch hunt against the internet because none of us would know each other or be here right now if it wasn't for the internet. Uh, there are hu- many hugely positive things. Um, so it's not a case that in the past there wasn't criticism. It's just that nowadays it it, it seems to, to echo in a way that it didn't in the past. I think that's a pretty fair comment. Um because you will know we've chatted before about uh, I've gone through the mid 70s the mid 80s the mid 90s the mid everything Arsenal have been pretty dire but the the thing that is coming up increasingly now there are two things one you're talking about the internet and so we're in touch with each other 24 hours a day seven days a week and everything that is adverse about the experience is out there and 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 obviously the the, the people who shout the loudest are generally the, the the ones who are being negative about it but it's it's not only that it's also there's this element that some people poop about in the mid-70s, in the mid-80s, less so in the mid-90s. It was starting to move, but football was an inexpensive experience. And so you loved your team. You always went. It didn't matter from one week to the next. Um, You'd pay a pound or two pound or whatever it was to get there, a pound or two pound to get in. Um, Whereas nowadays it's become something on a whole different level and you're talking about um, from here, for example, a day out at football is going to cost me 150 quid. Mm. Um, In relative terms to your salary, uh, it is more expensive these days, but I wonder whether it's that much. But, yes, you, you tend to be more critical because of that. Do you think, Jim, that that also applies because of the, the way that the people view football nowadays, that people are paying their subscription to their sports channels, um, if you're not obviously getting a dodgy stream somewhere, but people around the world are obviously paying for their cable, paying for their satellite TV, um, and contributing to the club also in terms of um, the merchandise and buying things like that, that there is this financial connection that, that people have, regardless of whether their season tickets are going week in, week out. I think there has to be really. I think that I think that it's inevitable, and um, I, I think it is a hell of a lot more expensive than it ever was. And people, I don't know, they maybe demand a bit of accountability um, when you're when you're paying so much, um, and it becomes more of a sort of a business transaction, doesn't it? Really, mm. uh, rather than something you can just throw away. And back to D- Dave's Dave's point, um, you know, you in, in sort of up until up until the mid '90s or. or yeah, probably till till mid nineties. You could just turn up on the day to watch Arsenal play, and it wasn't massively expensive. And if you didn't like the way the team were playing, you just didn't go for a bit, um, or you know, if it, or or you did. But I'm just saying you had mm. the choice. Whereas I think now, you know, if, especially if you're a season ticket holder, which I am, um, uh, and many people are, I, I think you, you kind of get you can't give it up because you, you well, a, you don't want to give it up, but b you just can't give it up because you wouldn't get it back. Yeah. And so I kind of you, you kind of feel like maybe you're a bit stuck in the stuck in the same stuck in the same thing all the time. So um, I, I think, I mean, t- Tim sort of nailed it when he said there's a million different reasons. It's so complicated, as a, and there are probably 10 that we could name and will name now, which uh, sort of add to the effect. But I think money is, is, is definitely, there's no doubt it's one of them. Mm. Um, and especially because it goes up year on year, higher than your salaries do generally. Um, and, um, and, you know, I look back at well, 20 years ago with my first season ticket, 1994 when the football was pretty turgid i don't remember there being a massive amount of criticism even though the football was bad um but my ticket was 200 quid and now it's a thousand and i just think it has to play a big part that that shapes people's um either their expectations or that they they feel that they should get more value for their money well yeah i i think probably the latter um well, I mean, maybe both, but I, and I think again that's also tied in with with relative success. So in the '90s, we had a we'd had a period of success, but it, it wasn't too far in the distant past that we hadn't. And I think maybe you know, and you look you look at Wenger's first sort of 
you know, six years or in charge or whatever, whatever it was, uh, eight years. And it was so successful that you kind of think it was almost impossible to carry on after that in the same vein. Mm. So I think that's another factor too. Tim, um, there's a quote in the piece that you um, give from Arsene Wenger where he tells a gathering of sports journalism students, he says, students rather, he says, we've moved from a society of full support to a media society and an opinion society. When I arrived here, a defeat was not as dramatic as it is today. Why? Because we moved from a rational society to a much more emotional society. When you finish a game, it's analysed in uh, in a minute and the opinions go through the whole of society in 10 minutes. And that's obviously uh, in reference to... Um, the internet and I think obviously in the immediate aftermath of any game I don't necessarily think that's the best time to make a judgment on on the reaction because it's quite visceral as we know at times but I just want to go back to the point where he talks about having a society of full support how you know there clearly wasn't always full support there were always dissenting Mm -hmm. voices and there were always people who were critical but maybe it's an issue that it's no longer impossible for the people who manage football clubs and who play at football clubs and who run football clubs to be unaware or be unexposed um, to people's opinions. Absolutely, yeah, and and it's it's true that that you know that we haven't always had full support. Um, you know, I remember reading one of John Sperling's books, and uh, he spoke to a supporter who'd been there in the 1930s and said that. Actually, in I think when we won the league the third year in the in a row, that actually the fans really started to turn because the expectations had gone up and everything. And you know we had this player called Bryn Jones um, who signed for a world record fee and didn't it didn't work for him and largely because the supporters got on his back. Um, and you know so it's always been there. And even in the 80s, you know there were very very big protests against the board. Um, you know the way that Terry Neal left the club. Um, you know, there were kind of action groups set up um, to oust him who were kind of quite in with David Dean at the time, who was, you know, just come in and was looking to make an impression and perhaps cosy up with the fans a little. So it has always been there. Um, I, I do certainly agree with Wenger's point, and it's not just a football thing, um, but we are, you know, a more emotional society. And, he, and he's right to say that's media-led. When you look at you know, the sort of just, you know, thinking in, in terms of not just in football, but the amount of inane shit people have to apologise for nowadays. <laughs> it's how many, you know, the BBC might as well have a channel called BBC Sorry, um, because people love to get offended. Um, and, and a lot of the time it's because they're kind of whipped up to do so because mm. it produces content. Um, and that's that's the thing we've got now is we've got, you know, obviously... Um, ourselves included, I suppose, on, sure. on this on this very podcast, <laughs> we've all got content to fill, um, you know, and a lot of it is 24 hours rolling kind of content. So actually, the story isn't enough anymore. The offshoot of the story, the reaction to the story, becomes the story, and the rest of it. And we're we're kind of, you know, we're almost being treated like dogs in terms of being told to jump and sit and, you know, and the rest of it. So it, but. But yes, it, it has always been there. You know, reactions have always been quite visceral. I remember very, very well players getting stick and abuse, uh, you know, when I was younger. Um, and I'm, you know, certain that that stuff went on, you know, for players like John Samuels, for example, who I think Hollick wrote a piece on recently, um, kind of legendarily taken apart, really, by the Arsenal fans. So it has always been there. But, you know, just reiterating what we said earlier, you know, it it had nowhere else to go. Someone would shout something on the terrace, something unpleasant or whatever, but then that would be it. Whereas now that it's kind of that would reverberate for a lot longer. Um, And then you'd get the reaction to that. You would get someone saying, don't say that. And then you've got an argument and then you've got 100 people jumping into it. (laughs) And it's just. You know, it's just this kind of echo chamber um, where things just don't really seem to die. Hollick, it is a symptom of the modern world, as Tim was saying, and of of modern media. And, you know, again, we're we're part of it. Um, But this idea that um, everybody's opinion or everybody has a right for their opinion to be heard... 
Um, and maybe it's a bit weird sitting here as a blogger and somebody who writes about Arsenal every day. I, you know, I would never uh, suggest to anybody that their opinion is invalid. But what you get perhaps is a tie or a situation where um, you might say something and all of a sudden you've got 100 people or 200 people replying to you about, you know, this one particular thing. That the minutiae of, of everything that goes along with a football game is... It just becomes, um, what's the word? It's like a rolling stone, um, <laughs> gathering lots of moss, going down and down and down the whole time. I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is because we all have 24-hour access to the internet, we don't have 24 hours worth of opinions inside us. And so we repeat the same things over and over and over again, which kind of becomes the frustrating thing, I think. Um, and so there's this... Uh, we build up about players. Well, this player does this and he's not worthy because of that. This player always plays excellently because he does it. And actually, none of that is true. But, but all of these things are self-reinforcing because we have to fill 24 hours a day on the internet, whereas in the mid-70s, mid-80s, mid-90s, we only had to fill in, like, a couple of hours in a pub. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, but, I mean, is there, uh, Jim, a tendency nowadays to um, – I, I guess we, we've been down this road before that there's a short-termism to opinion and to what people make judgments on, um, that a guy can play badly one game or two games and he's a, he's a terrible footballer. And we saw it perhaps with, with Aaron Ramsey when he came back from injury. You know, I watched the um, – the opening stages of the 1989 season review today. And the first home game was a 3-2 defeat to Aston Villa. Uh, David O'Leary made a terrible header for one of the goals, and they scored. And um, Tony Daly brushed off Nigel Winterburn, tearing down the Villa right-hand side. And you're thinking that if those things happen today, and they do happen today, obviously, because, you know, players make mistakes. They're, they're human, after all, that um, they'll, they'll let in silly goals. But the reaction to them is amplified to the point where it, it, becomes, it becomes almost necessary. You see it sometimes that there's, there's almost a counter from within the club um, to provide a little bit more positive PR for a player who's perhaps been under the spotlight. It's a bit weird. It is a bit. It is a bit weird, but um, it's it's the same, it, it, and it does happen for players, and it is um, it is ridiculously, it happens too quickly. But then you, the, the same thing is is it happens across football. You think you think about managers now, and and um, and how many get how many how long do they last now? I mean, Wenger really is the last of a the last of a of a dying breed, mm. um, and I don't I don't think you know I think two three years is the absolute maximum. That, they stay now and, and that's that's partly because of again financial pressure and but it's, it's also partly because because of pressure that comes from from the fans and stuff so it's not just the players it, it is it is kind of ev everywhere and um and yeah and if only we had a lot slightly slightly longer term view on things especially players when they're just out of form mm. then then it probably it would probably be a lot nicer but um but uh, it, it just it just doesn't happen that way. I mean, I think you're right. Whenever you say, "Oh, you shouldn't write straight away after," a, and I mean, uh, I mean, I, I'm writing less and less frequently. Full stop. But I, de I definitely have always <laughs> followed that mantra, which is, you know, don't just write straight straight away because and the stuff I come out with at the end of a game, you know, with to the people I stand next to or sit next to, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't think it in the morning. So um, yeah, that, but that's the kind of stuff that. Uh, that if you if you whack it onto Twitter, then it's there. So um, yeah, yeah. The, the, it, it, you, you react. You react. It's just human nature. You react, but and it's harder not to. But um, I suppose um, in, in time it balances itself out. You look at Ramsey's form now, and, um, and you know you just kind of think, oh, he's he's a great player. He's had a brilliant couple of seasons, but he he had all sorts of stick for like, two years before that. It sort of you kind of forget it after a while, don't you? Yeah. Well, then then it becomes nostalgia. In a way. Um, Holic, I'll just go back to you on that and people's reactions. How do we balance the the, the very obvious emotional side of football, um, which is probably the main reason why we're all in it? Because if there wasn't any uh, effect on us, it would just be something we could take or leave. So it can leave you in the doldrums and it can lift you extremely high. Um, and people 
in the states of either euphoria or dismay are going to say things um, in the heat of that moment that perhaps, as Jim says, they wouldn't stand over in the morning. I mean, is that now just something that we are going to have to to live with, that, that um, these reactions um, from people, whether negative or hugely negative or hugely positive, are just part and parcel now of being um, a football fan? Yes, absolutely. Um, once you've, we've opened Pandora's box, we have 24-hour contact with each other. And so that you're going to have to deal with that. I, I'm kind of thinking the real debate is about when Tim says he's questioning about his ongoing support for the club. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Given what's going on at the moment, and I don't, I'm not altogether uncertain that a number of us aren't going through that same thing. I'm questioning the nature of my support with the club, whether I will go on attending home matches all of the time, and uh, how do I put this? There's a, there's an attraction to going away to support the club at the moment rather than watch at home because the atmosphere is so very different. Um, but does that, I mean, uh, if, your, if your reservations are based, for example, and I know the piece that Tim wrote that you're talking about, that it's sort of based on the way that the club is operated and the way that the club will be operated in the future and the way that football clubs in general will be operated, whether it's Arsenal or anyone else, because they're these gigantic corporations mm-hmm. um i mean is that the objection or is it just the the sanitization of um of the game and I, I, you know i don't want to be critical of of the the uh, the home support or anything like that but i mean i'm just trying to figure out where what's the issue um yeah you've kind of touched on it there it's um the home match experience is very different at the grove as it was from ivory mm. uh, it's become something where uh for me personally now i i come up mainly for the social side of the thing the football is an aside because the football isn't the experience that it still was but the people that i meet before and after the game make the day for me and i'm kind of thinking well actually i've done a few i I used to go to every away game back in the 70s and 80s but nowadays i get to two or three a season and i'm starting to think well hang on these two or three away games i'm doing every season i'm enjoying more more than 80 percent of the home games i'm going to we sing more, we chat more, we talk more while the game's going on. And it, we're talking about the difference between the football and the social aspect. Mm. For me, that's a big thing these days. Tim, uh, this kind of ties in with what we were talking about, that the the negative reaction online is very often not replicated to the same extent. Um, did I say online there? Offline, yeah. So what I mean is that you can come out of a game where Arsenal have lost and you're cheesed off and you're fed up or you're furious or you're one thing or the other, but you're sort of, in a way, there's a a sort of a a catharsis in in alcohol and and social interaction, if that makes sense. (laughs) That, you know, if you're standing with real people, um, it, it, it tends to make a difference. And that's, you know, again, I'm like hugely conscious of the fact that we're online and Arsblog has a community online and I love it and I think it's fantastic and I'm not being critical of, of that side of things. But what I mean is that when you're there, it's sometimes difficult to tally the online reaction with what happens in, in real life, if you like. 
Definitely. Um, it's, and I think a lot of people, and again, I'm not looking to kind of stigmatise those that don't or can't go, but I think a lot of people look at the reaction online and assume that that really permeates in the stadium. And actually, you know, you, you go into the stadium, a lot of a, a lot more people than people realise just aren't even aware of this kind of world, really, mm. um, that, that all of us are kind of, you know, uh, very much in um, and, you know, very much profited from. Um, but at the same time, there are elements of it. There really are elements of it. And actually, you know, a, a, a lot of away matches, the atmosphere is a bit more visceral than I think people realise um, a lot of the time. And elect um, two bouts of quite intense fisticuffs after we went 1-0 down. It got very, very ugly. Um between I Arsenal think, fans. Yes, yeah. Um, I think, you know, because on a European away, you're probably drinking all day, although that happens at a lot of domestic away games as well. I'm certainly guilty um, of that. Um, but it, 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 there are pockets of it, and you can, but you, you can tell who the people are that inhabit that world um, and who the people that are kind of removed from it are. Um, I, th I think there is a, a quite general air of negativity around Arsenal, um, both from the media and, and, and the support and the rest of it. Um, and I, I don't think that's an agenda per se. I, I think it's just the way things have the, the way things have come about. But it's quite strange because on, on one hand, yes, definitely there is a, a great deal of catharsis in in actually being there, and you know you go to the pub afterwards, and frankly, within half an hour you've forgotten the result, quite frankly, because you're just, you know, you're having a beer and a chat and the rest of it and all that kind of fury um, or whatever kind of evaporates. But it, it, again, it's a really, really weird one because all at the same time, I think it does have a bit of an influence on what happens in the ground. But I don't think it's as profound as a lot of people think it is. I think a lot of people, you know, just don't realise that particularly where I sit in the upper tier, you know, um, and actually, I quite like sitting in the upper tier now because it's quiet, but nobody says anything. But that means no one says anything stupid that annoys me either. So <laughs> I have actually come to quite like sitting up there um, for that reason. But I, I, it, I don't think it's quite as profound in the stadium as people believe it is. That said, um, I have seen, you know, lots of fights between Arsenal fans over the last two or three years, and they've mainly been away games. Jim, I mean, Tim talks about the negative um, perspective around Arsenal at the moment, and obviously some of that is down to what we do and how we do it or how we don't do certain things. But again, it brings you kind of full circle to the to the media side of things, that the negativity is much easier to make a story out of. Like we saw this week, for example, Arsenal won a game 2-0, um, and there's really nothing to say about it. So nothing happened this week. Um, and it's interesting because I, you know, um, with the news site, keep an eye on things. And normally around half 10, 11 o'clock at night, you get some headlines from the from the Nationals, um, whether it's the Mirror uh, or whoever. And they usually have an Arsenal story or two. And this week, there was nothing for two or three days. Um, whereas if Arsenal hadn't beaten Sunderland, uh, imagine, um, you know, there's obviously uh, much more to talk about and much more to to prey on from, from a media point of view. Yeah, <clears throat> but, but then you're kind of almost shifting the argument to just the economics of modern media because, um, you know... Uh, hard physical newspapers are in decline and they're being replaced as we all know by by uh, by web stories which um are usually ad funded mostly you know obviously some are paywall but most are ad funded um and um and you need you need to a churn out the articles and b be uh, you know to get to get the ad revenue so they're always going to and you know it's, it's quite obvious that Arsenal. There's lots of Arsenal fans who would who will, who will read those stories and comment on them and share them and what have you. So that's why they write it. So I mm. mean, it, to, to me, it's just it's just it's just economics. I don't have a problem with it. I don't really have a problem with the negativity massively. I, I just think perhaps you just need everyone needs to sort of step back a bit and, have, and put it, have a little bit of context about it because mm. um, you know I, I think I don't have a problem with people saying whatever they want. I mean, within reason on Twitter as well. Um, and I often think on Twitter too, you know, kind of get the responses back um, that are in tune with the, the kind of 
the way you talk yourself on Twitter. And, and uh, you know, and I think it's probably famous last words. I'm going to get bombarded with it now. But <laughs> I don't get a lot of that. I really don't because I don't say a lot of stuff that is inflammatory. And like mm. I wouldn't in the street and, and most people wouldn't in the street. But a lot of people do on Twitter and, and you often get the kind of response that you that is engendered by the way you you phrase something. So, yeah. um, you know, I think, again, it's all it's, it's often very contextual. And in terms of the negative stories, well, I would expect nothing less of a newspaper wouldn't be doing its wouldn't be doing its business or, or, or another site if, if it didn't sort of you know try and try and make hay well whilst the sun shined. Mm. It's interesting. One of the big websites, uh, newspapers, and they've got an offshoot who um, print an awful lot of shite, basically, um, and, and have printed a lot of shite this week, actually, about Alexis and about uh, certain other things. But I know that when they, when they get certain uh, bloggers to write for them, that they don't pay them unless the article gets X amount of hits. Or X amount of page views, and once it goes above that, they get they get a fee. So that in itself drives a the the uh, the content of the article, and b perhaps the headline as well. Um, well it does it, it does, but I mean no one's no one's yet to work out a, a better way of doing online journalism than that in terms of <laughs> in, in terms of in terms of revenue, right? They haven't. So it's all ad based. There's no other, mm. people have tried the other ways, and and you know to greater or lesser um, effect. But that's the way it is. <laughs> you know, and and how they pay how they pay them. Well, I, I mean, I didn't. I'm, I'm not sure, but mm. and, and that that sounds in, entirely um, feasible. But yes. uh, yeah, it, it, it's um, it's just it's just that's the economics of of the of the online model, and, and I don't think there's much you can do about that. Holic, are we in danger, perhaps, of taking it all a bit seriously? Like Jim says, step back a bit, because we saw, for example, this week, Rio Ferdinand um, has has picked up a three match ban from the FA for calling somebody's mother a slut or something like that. Um, and, you know, he, like, in fairness, he shouldn't do that, right? You shouldn't, you know, you're a professional footballer. You shouldn't get involved with, you know, insulting people's mothers on Twitter. But when you, when you compare that... Redknapps. Yeah, no, no, well, no, not even, I don't think, you know, but, but look, oh, let's, no. let's, let's put it in perspective. The Ryan Shawcross, I don't want to go down the did he, didn't he, isn't he, is he, isn't yeah, he, yeah. Um, et cetera. But Ryan Shawcross got a three-match ban for snapping Aaron Ramsey's leg in two. And Rio <laughs> Ferdinand has got a three-match ban for calling somebody's mother who none of us know and will never meet and never knew. Maybe she she could well be what he said, but, you know, this idea that that, that somehow merits a three-match ban just seems utterly bizarre to me. You're asking the wrong person because I, <laughs> I, until this morning I didn't even know what he'd called her and now I've seen it. I haven't got the bloody clue what it means. <laughs> well, I didn't so. know that either. I had to do some research before uh, before the show. Uh, if I'd known you were going to ask me, I would have done the same research. But I still haven't got a clue. Whatever he did, if that's worth the same ban as Ryan Shawcross, then there's something wrong seriously with the game. But it's kind of uh, there's a there's a, a set of people out there who as you will know, will seek to be offended and have to be placated. And so these sort of charges go on these days. Uh, It's a mystery to me. It really is. Even though it's Rio Ferdinand, I don't mind how many times he gets banned. (laughs) (laughs) I I need to keep your fans, I don't think, at the moment. (laughs) No, exactly, exactly. Tim, I mean, we've, we've touched on the online stuff and it sounds like the worst thing in the world and the most negative thing in the world. Um, and it's not that because there are brilliant things that happen from being online, from, uh, you know, from websites and forums and communities and people that come together online and offline. But I mean, is there then a responsibility for people perhaps with, with higher profile presences on, um, online media or social media and, and, uh, people who pr- produce content, um, to do something, not do something about it, but to maintain a certain standard um, in the face of the the twenty four hour um, demand that drives that's uh, driven by the sensational. I mean, ideally, yes, but at the same time, you know, p- 
people's only real responsibility in this situation is towards themselves, is to reflect themselves towards their own personalities. I I, I remember well about a year ago or so, a a, a debate that came up as a result of something you tweeted about, you know, being dissatisfied with. I can't even remember what it was. And people were saying to you, you shouldn't do that because that sets everyone else off and and actually Mm. there's this big chain reaction. And it's it's an interesting question. I, I don't, you know... I I don't think that anyone in this sort of situation should look to be responsible for anybody but themselves. So if they want to bitch and moan, let them bitch and moan. And, you know, I, I, I very much agree with what Jim said earlier and that actually we possibly take it too seriously. And, you know, what? you can ignore it if you want. I, I don't think I was interested in what Jim said there as well about, you know, not being that bothered if there's a negative air around. And, and actually, I thought to myself, well, actually, I'm not either. I don't. I don't enjoy going to Arsenal any less, even though I do think over the last three years or so, you know, it, it's been quite tempestuous at times. I haven't, in, I've probably enjoyed it more, quite frankly. Um, and that's thanks largely to the fact that I've met so many more people and it's because of the internet. Um, you know, I've kind of built this big network of, you know, the, the, the amount of people I go with now has tripled in size in the last three years and that's because of the internet. So even though there is this kind of maelstrom around it, I, I don't really think if you don't want it to have an effect on you, it won't. Um, quite frankly, mm. um, it might mean that someone next to you, you know, thinking particularly of myself, occasionally someone behind me will be mouthing off, and I think I'll oh, shut up, you knob. <laughs> but you know, that's that's just me. Um, and and so, I mean, I, I don't I don't think anyone has a responsibility to do anything other than what they want to do, really. I don't think people who produce content should be mindful about that sort of thing because then it's just not genuine anymore. Mm. Um, And it should be, if you want to kind of let some steam off about something, then, you know, do it. Um, Quite frankly, you haven't got... I don't think, you know, we have a responsibility, as it were, um, not to do that. Mm. You know, if if, if it's appropriate... um, and, you know, and, and, and people's personalities will come out then because you'll see who makes the noise all of the time. And actually, you know, I tend to think I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not that critical of the club that often. I try to understand even when I don't agree or when things go wrong, I try to understand why they've made the decisions they have from the perspective they've had. Um, but, you know, I like to think that as a result, when I do, maybe it carries a bit more weight. I don't know, but that's mm. for other people to decide. So, to be honest, no, I, I don't think people have, you know, you know, content providers have this responsibility. Um, and at the end of the day, if people want to write crap and people are happy to read crap, then it's all fine. That doesn't mm. have to have any sort of overbearing effect on me mm. at all. There's something for everyone. That, Sorry, exactly. Yeah, sorry, I think that's a very fair point that Tim was making there. But I, and I look at, uh, there are times where I read people who don't necessarily express views that I would agree with, but who make seldom points that I can understand where they're coming from. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really awkward situation when you have people who are making the same points time after time after time, minute after minute after minute or hour after hour after hour. But there are people who will say things who, that you don't agree with, but they'll say it once, they'll back out, and you'll understand where they're coming from, their point mm. of view. No, I totally yeah. agree with that. Um, mm. You know, that there is a, there's certainly a need even for, for, for um, a range of opinion. I think that's yeah. I think that's great. I mean what yeah. what um what just strikes me is that there's got to be an honesty to it and there's got to be I think a lot of it comes down to how you express the opinion that you express. Mm. Yeah, but it's, it's like a, it's like anything is that how how you write or how you you know it it all it's all it, it would be the same as if you spoke in a different way in the street like I said earlier, you know, it's um you can inflame things by by writing 140 characters in a certain way. It's pretty mm. easy, but you don't have to. And so, um, you know, it depends if you like that kind of thing. If you like that kind of confrontational aspect, well, you know, yeah, 
go go for it but um it's not it's not the way i do it's finally interesting because you know i think maybe one of the one of the strengths of twitter in that you can choose who you follow and um, is also one of its weaknesses in that you, you kind of tend to follow people that think exactly the same way or pretty similarly to you and and sort of you know that so perhaps perhaps we should all just start following people we don't agree with so much um, <laughs> uh, but maybe maybe it would be a better balance you know that, yeah. that we did i don't i do and do you? Well, do. They're not, you're a better man than me, Dave, because I don't, <laughs> I don't as much as I ought to. But maybe because we all—it's a very sort of small funnel of, of, of opinion that you follow because you like it and you agree with it. And, and perhaps you know it, uh, it'd be better if we all sort of opened our eyes a bit and started following, um, you know, a load of Spurs fans. Maybe not that extreme. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Jesus well, Christ, no! No, uh, Jim. I just wanted to ask you, just uh, as we move this on to the final sort of area, is that the, the club itself obviously is. Um, a part and parcel of being a big business and a big corporation is having their big social media presence. Do they help themselves sometimes in in the sense that, you know, we can get beaten and then there's tweets about, who is your man of the match? Wasn't this smashing, et cetera, et cetera, that, that this demand for um, this demand for the content or the, the desire to produce the content, I'm not sure which, sometimes maybe they're in a position where they don't need to do it. Well, I, I mean, perhaps so, but perhaps, you know, perhaps it's there's probably a method behind the madness, isn't there? I mean, again, it's one of those things that, you, that it must you have a pretty thankless task being um, the mm-hmm. Arsenal social media manager, because I reckon you get you know, if you kind of look at the replies, it must be pretty dis- disheartening. I, I think but, I was in on one um, a couple of weeks ago, and they said uh, it was probably just after a load of players got injured, and they did the media watch, and it was a, a match report or something, an arse blog on this match, and then, and uh, transfer news about Kadira or something like that, and it was just a stream of like, fuck off, fuck yeah. off, fuck <laughs> off, and I'm going, I didn't do any, I just wrote about the match yesterday, but you know, it's, um, maybe there's, you know, uh, they shouldn't necessarily do that, though. But why, why not stay positive? I mean, I quite admire it, really. You know, if, if they can say, oh, yeah, we got beaten 6-0 by Chelsea. Who was your man of the match? Well, what, <laughs> what, what are they going to do? Sort of tear their hair out and sort of say, oh, God, wasn't it terrible? Oh, no, I'm not going to talk to you for three days. I don't know. I mean, again, you, you don't have to reply to it. Right. We get a bit insular about these things. You have to remember that what they're writing is for millions of people worldwide. Yeah. And I hear all of the criticism of the media watch and i agree with it entirely but if you look at the hits they get on media watch from overseas it's a way of communicating with people who will uh pump money into the club overseas um being very careful about how I mention that but yeah <laughs> it's uh, um there's a reason why they do it Definitely. I, I, I just I, I'm not going to name the guy, but um, I, I spoke to one of the guys who runs, you know, the Arsenal Twitter account uh, just after we signed Meza Ozil last summer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know what he said to me that um, towards the end of August, before we signed Urza, when it got really really frenzied, um, that he posted you know something on the Arsenal feed, and someone replied. Why are you tweeting? Every single member of Arsenal Football Club staff should be working on transfers. And I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. Just can you imagine the tea lady? Mm. You know, uh, you're not making tea today, love. Today you're signing Meza Urzil. So yeah. Go negotiate in Spanish with Real Madrid, please. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, look, it is what it is, and we're all here, and look, for the most part, it's tremendously enjoyable, and uh, I'm, you know, uh, glad to be part of it and glad to have you on the show again. Tim Stillman, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, the man from Eastlore, thank you. Thank you. And Gunnarholic, cheers, as always. Uh, thank you for inviting me again, blogs. Obviously, after that discussion, in a very self-aware way, I've got to direct you uh, towards these chaps' online presences. The Goonerholic, you will find him at The Goonerholic on Twitter and Goonerholic.com. The man from East Lower is at East Lower, uh, and his blog is eastlower.co.uk, and Tim Stillman at Little Dutch VA on Twitter. You can read his column here every week on Arse Blog. You'll also find him on Vital Arsenal. So there you go. Uh, it's an interesting area. 
Um, and it's very difficult to draw any conclusions. I think for the most part, it is driven by the culture in which we all live in. And it doesn't just involve football, does it? It involves everything. Every part of every tiny half-hour celebrity is a story. Anybody that's got any kind of profile um, becomes a story in some way or another. That the uh, the football world becomes part of TV and celebrity and movies and, you know, um, the stories that catch people's eye aren't necessarily that interesting or important. You know, when a footballer posts a picture on Twitter and all of a sudden it's all over all the, the newspaper websites, you're thinking, is it is it important that this guy posted a picture of himself pointing at the number on his shirt? No, it's not. It's just a guy posting a picture on Twitter, and sometimes you do need to step back. But look, the thing about it is, is that you can choose completely what you expose yourself to. Now, Twitter's a little bit different, of course, because anybody can uh, say something to you on Twitter, same way as they can by email, but, you know, email's uh, a bit of work. So that doesn't tend to happen as much, whereas it's very easy for people on Twitter to to send you a message if uh, they disagree with you or if they don't like something that you're doing. Um, And I think for the most part, the best bet is just to ignore that. That if you do stuff that people don't like, well, you know, what is the fucking point in worrying about the people that don't like what you do? Unless you really want to get into long arguments, fuck it. Life's too short. And there are some kind of crazy people out there, too. Let's be honest. But for the most part, I have to say that I find the people that I deal with on a daily basis online, the people that are happy to chat on Twitter, happy to talk about things, happy to debate things and discuss things and even argue about things, um, for the most part, are great. Uh, On site, um, whether it's in the comments or uh, anywhere else, that my experience online is generally positive. And you try and stay away from all the, the nonsense as much as possible. And that would be my biggest recommendation to everybody is that just don't get involved because life's too short to argue with people who um, are only really out for an argument. Um, for me, there's so many positives from Arsblog and doing Arsblog and being online and making so many friends and meeting so many people and having so many opportunities that, you know, I would never um, think of dismissing online life. But I think sometimes, sometimes it does as well to just step back and put things in a in a little bit of perspective. So there you go. Anyway, um, this weekend we have got Burnley and the team news is that Kieran Gibbs is a doubt. Um, what else was there? I can't really remember what else it was, but uh, I think Gibbs is the only defender uh, over which there is a doubt due to the hip injury that he picked up. Uh, if he doesn't make it, it'll be interesting because Monreal will have to go to left back. Callum Chambers, he's gonna he's gonna come in at centre half alongside Per Mertesacker, and you've got to think Hector Bellerin will get a a run out. Interesting as well that during the week that they added Bellerin and Isaac Hayden to the uh, to the first team squad. So it looks like we've actually got quite a number of defenders, even though um, Bellerin and Hayden have uh, played four or five games between them. Um, You never know. They're probably going to be needed. Uh, So fingers crossed that if they are, they do well. And maybe Burnley is uh, a good kind of game in which to to involve some of these guys, um, with all due respect to them, and uh, taking nothing for granted because we know that um, a team's reputation or status in the game is of no guarantee to Arsenal uh, when it comes to the result. But um, when you're playing at home and you have to throw in a youngster, it's probably better that it's against Burnley than against Chelsea for example. Um, So let's keep fingers crossed that we can do the business against Burnley. Um, There is, of course, a a Champions League game in midweek against Anderlecht. Uh, that's a home game as well on Tuesday, so um, we'll keep fingers crossed for that one as well. It could more or less seal our place in the uh, in the knockout stages. Uh, we'll be looking for two wins this week ahead of uh, ahead of next weekend's trip to Swansea. So uh, let's keep everything crossed. We can do that. Have yourselves a great time. Thank you for listening as always. It's much appreciated. Catch you online as we do. We'll have an Arscast Extra on Monday. Myself and James will be here to discuss the weekend's events, and there'll be an Arscast next Friday. Until then, take it easy. Have yourselves a great weekend. Bye-bye.
have forgot, in all list of scary Arsenal player, most scariest of all, who can it be? I have disguised myself so nobody can recognize, because if you knew of real terror, you would be afraid of me. But I will reveal myself to you because, well, what is point of not? I am scary player, I am... Andre Arshevin! Ha <laughs> very scary because, uh, ah, it's like noise somebody make when, when they have been frightened. And who does the frightening? There is only one player who does frightening. It is Emmanuel Abu, eh? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 